Part 2 of Chapter 3 of Book 2 of The Wealth of Nations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Escalera. The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Part 2 of Chapter 3 of Book 2 of The Accumulation of Capital or of Productive and Unproductive Labor. The same quantity of money, besides, cannot long remain in any country in which the value of the annual produce diminishes. The sole use of money is to circulate consumable goods. By means of it, provisions, materials, and finished work are bought and sold and distributed to their proper consumers. The quantity of money, therefore, which can be annually employed in any country must be determined by the value of the consumable goods annually circulated within it. These must consist either in the immediate produce of the land and labor of the country itself, or in something which had been purchased with some part of that produce. Their value, therefore, must diminish as the value of that produce diminishes, and along with it the quantity of money which can be employed in circulating them. But the money which, by this annual diminution of produce, is annually thrown out of domestic circulation will not be allowed to lie idle. The interest of whoever possesses it requires that it should be employed but having no employment at home it will in spite of all laws and prohibitions be sent abroad and employed in purchasing consumable goods which may be of some use at home its annual exportation will in this manner continue for some time to add something to the annual consumption of the country beyond the value of its own annual produce what in the days of its prosperity had been saved from that annual produce and employed in purchasing gold and silver will contribute for some little time to support its consumption in adversity the exportation of gold and silver is in this case not the cause but the effect of its declension and may even for some little time alleviate the misery of that declension the quantity of money on the contrary must in every country naturally increase as the value of the annual produce increases the value of the consumable goods annually circulated within the society being greater will require a greater quantity of money to circulate them a part of the increased produce therefore will naturally be employed in purchasing wherever it is to be had the additional quantity of gold and silver necessary for circulating the rest the increase of those metals will in this case be the effect not the cause of the public prosperity gold and silver are purchased everywhere in the same manner the food, clothing, and lodging, the revenue and maintenance of all those whose labor or stock is employed in bringing them from the mine to the market is the price paid for them in Peru as well as in England. The country which has this price to pay will never belong without the quantity of those metals which it has occasion for, and no country will ever long retain a quantity which it has no occasion for whatever therefore we may imagine the real wealth and revenue of a country to consist in whether in the value of the annual produce of its land and labour as plain reason seems to indicate or in the quantity of the precious metals which circulate within it as vulgar prejudices suppose in either view of the matter every prodigal appears to be a public enemy and every frugal man a public benefactor the effects of misconduct are often the same as those of prodigality every injudicious and unsuccessful project in agriculture mines fisheries trade or manufactures tends in the same manner to diminish the funds destined for the maintenance of productive labor in every such project though the capital is consumed by productive hands only yet as by the injudicious manner in which they are employed 
they do not reproduce the full value of their consumption, there must always be some diminution in what would otherwise have been the productive funds of the society. It can seldom happen, indeed, that the circumstances of a great nation can be much affected either by the prodigality or misconduct of individuals, the profusion or imprudence of some being always more than compensated by the frugality and good conduct of others. With regard to profusion, the principle which prompts to expense is the passion for present enjoyment, which, though sometimes violent and very difficult to be restrained, is in general only momentary and occasional. But the principle which prompts to save is the desire of bettering our condition, a desire which, though generally calm and dispassionate, comes with us from the womb, and never leaves us till we go into the grave. In the whole interval which separates those two moments, there is scarce perhaps a single instance in which any man is so perfectly and completely satisfied with his situation as to be without any wish of alteration or improvement of any kind. An augmentation of fortune is the means by which the greater part of men propose and wish to better their condition. It is the means the most vulgar and the most obvious, and the most likely way of augmenting their fortune is to save and accumulate some part of what they acquire, either regularly and annually, or upon some extraordinary occasion. Though the principle of expense, therefore, prevails in almost all men upon some occasions, and in some men upon almost all occasions, yet in the greater part of men, taking the whole course of their life at an average, the principle of frugality seems not only to predominate, but to predominate very greatly. With regard to misconduct, the number of prudent and successful undertakings is everywhere much greater than that of injudicious and unsuccessful ones. After all our complaints of the frequency of bankruptcies, the unhappy men who fall into this misfortune make but a very small part of the whole number engaged in trade and all other sorts of business, not much more, perhaps, than one in a thousand. Bankruptcy is perhaps the greatest and most humiliating calamity which can befall an innocent man. The greater part of men, therefore, are sufficiently careful to avoid it. Some, indeed, do not avoid it, as some do not avoid the gallows. Great nations are never impoverished by private, though they sometimes are by public prodigality and misconduct. The whole, or almost the whole public revenue, is, in most countries, employed in maintaining unproductive hands. Such are the people who compose a numerous and splendid court, a great ecclesiastical establishment, great fleets and armies, who in time of peace produce nothing, and in time of war acquire nothing which can compensate the expense of maintaining them, even while the war lasts. Such people, as they themselves produce nothing, are all maintained by the produce of other men's labor. When multiplied, therefore, to an unnecessary number, they may, in a particular year, consume so great a share of this produce, as not to leave a sufficiency for maintaining the productive laborers, who should reproduce it next year. The next year's produce, therefore, will be less than that of the foregoing. And if the same disorder should continue, that of the third year will be still less than that of the second. Those unproductive hands who should be maintained by a part only of the spare revenue of the people may consume so great a share of their whole revenue, and thereby oblige so great a number to encroach upon their capitals, upon the funds destined for the maintenance of productive labor, that all the frugality and good conduct of individuals may not be able to compensate the waste and degradation of produce occasioned by this violent and forced encroachment. 
This frugality and good conduct, however, is, upon most occasions, it appears from experience, sufficient to compensate not only the private prodigality and misconduct of individuals, but the public extravagance of government. The uniform, constant, and uninterrupted effort of every man to better his condition, the principle from which public and national as well as private opulence is originally derived, is frequently powerful enough to maintain the natural progress of things toward improvement, in spite both of the extravagance of government and of the greatest errors of administration. Like the unknown principle of animal life, it frequently restores health and vigor to the constitution, in spite not only of the disease, but of the absurd prescriptions of the doctor. The annual produce of the land and labor of any nation can be increased in its value by no other means but by increasing either the number of its productive laborers or the productive powers of those laborers who had before been employed. The number of its productive laborers, it is evident, can never be much increased, but in consequence of an increase of capital or of the funds destined for maintaining them. The productive powers of the same number of laborers cannot be increased, but in consequence either of some addition and improvement to those machines and instruments which facilitate and abridge labor, or of more proper division and distribution of employment. In either case, an additional capital is almost always required. It is by means of an additional capital only that the undertaker of any work can either provide his workmen with better machinery, or make a more proper distribution of employment among them. When the work to be done consists of a number of parts, to keep every man constantly employed in one way requires a much greater capital than where every man is occasionally employed in every different part of the work. When we compare, therefore, the state of a nation at two different periods, and find that the annual produce of its land and labor is evidently greater at the latter than at the former, that its lands are better cultivated, its manufacturers more numerous and more flourishing, and its trade more extensive, we may be assured that its capital must have increased during the interval between those two periods, and that more must have been added to it by the good conduct of some, than had been taken from it either by the private misconduct of others, or by the public extravagance of government. But we shall find this to have been the case of almost all nations, in all tolerably quiet and peaceable times, even of those who have not enjoyed the most prudent and parsimonious governments. To form a right judgment of it, indeed, we must compare the state of the country at periods somewhat distant from one another. The progress is frequently so gradual that at near periods the improvement is not only not sensible, but from the declension either of certain branches of industry or of certain districts of the country, things which sometimes happen, though the country in general is in great prosperity, there frequently arises a suspicion that the riches and industry of the whole are decaying. The annual produce of the land and labor of England, for example, is certainly much greater than it was a little more than a century ago, at the restoration of Charles the Second. Though at present few people, I believe, doubt of this, yet during this period five years have seldom passed away, in which some book or pamphlet has not been published, written to with such abilities as to gain some authority with the public, and pretending to demonstrate that the wealth of the nation was fast declining, that the country was depopulated, agriculture neglected, manufactures decaying, and trade undone. Nor have these publications been all party pamphlets, the wretched offspring of a falsehood and venality. Many of them have been written by very candid and very intelligent people, who wrote nothing but what they believed, and for no other reason but because they believed it. 
the annual produce of the land and labour of england again was certainly much greater at the restoration than we can suppose it to have been about a hundred years before at the ascension of elizabeth at this period too we have all reason to believe the country was much more advanced in improvement than it had been about a century before towards the close of the dissensions between the houses of york and lancaster even then it was probably in a better condition than it had been at the norman conquest and at the norman conquest than during the confusion of the saxon heptarchy even at this early period it was certainly a more improved country than at the invasion of julius caesar when its inhabitants were nearly in the same state with the savages in north america in each of those periods however there was not only much private and public profusion many expensive and unnecessary wars great perversion of the annual produce from maintaining productive to maintain unproductive hands but sometimes in the confusion of civil discord such absolute waste and destruction of stock as might be supposed not only to retard as it certainly did the natural accumulation of riches but to have left the country at the end of the period poorer than at the beginning thus in the happiest and most fortunate period of them all that which has passed since the restoration how many disorders and misfortunes have occurred which could they have been foreseen not only the impoverishment but the total ruin of the country would have been expected from them the fire and the plague of london the two dutch wars the disorders of the revolution the war in ireland the four expensive french wars of sixteen eighty eight seventeen o one seventeen forty two and seventeen fifty six together with the two rebellions of seventeen fifteen and seventeen forty five in the course of the four french wars the nation has contracted more than one hundred and forty five million pounds of debt over and above all the other extraordinary annual expense which they occasioned so that the whole cannot be computed at less than two hundred million pounds so great a share of the annual produce of the land and labour of the country has since the revolution been employed upon different occasions in maintaining an extraordinary number of unproductive hands but had not those wars given this particular direction to so large a capital the greater part of it would naturally have been employed in maintaining productive hands whose labour would have replaced with a profit the whole value of their consumption the value of the annual produce of the land and labour of the country would have been considerably increased by it every year and every year's increase would have augmented still more that of the following year more houses would have been built more lands would have been improved and those which had been improved before would have been better cultivated more manufactures would have been established and those which had been established before would have been more extended and to what height the real wealth and revenue of the country might by this time have been raised it is not perhaps very easy even to imagine but though the profusion of government must undoubtedly have retarded the natural progress of england towards wealth and improvement it has not been able to stop it the annual produce of its land and labour is undoubtedly much greater at present than it was either at the restoration or at the revolution the capital therefore annually employed in cultivating this land and in maintaining this labour must likewise be much greater in the midst of all the exactions of government this capital has been silently and gradually accumulated by the private frugality and good conduct of individuals by their universal continual and uninterrupted effort to better their own condition it is this effort protected by law and allowed by liberty to exert itself in the manner that is most advantageous which has maintained the progress of england towards opulence and improvement in almost all former times and which it is to be hoped will do so in all future times 
England, however, as it has never been blessed with a very parsimonious government, so parsimony has at no time been the characteristic virtue of its inhabitants. It is the highest impertinence and presumption, therefore, in kings and ministers to pretend to watch over the economy of private people, and to restrain their expense, either by sumptuary laws, or by prohibiting the importation of foreign luxuries. They are themselves always, and without any exception, the greatest spendthrifts in the society. Let them look well after their own expense, and they may safely trust private people with theirs. If their own extravagance does not ruin the state, that of the subject never will. As frugality increases and prodigality diminishes the public capital, so the conduct of those whose expense just equals their revenue, without either accumulating or encroaching, neither increases nor diminishes it. Some modes of expense, however, seem to contribute more to the growth of public opulence than others. The revenue of an individual may be spent either in things which are consumed immediately, and in which one day's expense can neither alleviate nor support that of another, or it may be spent in things more durable, which can therefore be accumulated, and in which every day's expense may, as he chooses, either alleviate or support and heighten the effect of that of the following day. A man of fortune, for example, may either spend his revenue in a profuse and sumptuous table, and in maintaining a great number of menial servants, and a multitude of dogs and horses, or, contenting himself with a frugal table, and a few attendants, he may lay out the greater part of it in adorning his house or his country villa, in useful or ornamental buildings, in useful or ornamental furniture, in collecting books, statues, pictures, or in things more frivolous, jewels, baubles, ingenious trinkets of different kinds, or, what is most trifling of all, in amassing a great wardrobe of fine clothes, like the favorite and minister of a great prince who died a few years ago. Were two men of equal fortune to spend their revenue, the one chiefly in the one way, the other in the other, the magnificence of the person whose expense had been chiefly in durable commodities would be continually increasing, every day's expense contributing something to support and heighten the effect of that of the following day. That of the other, on the contrary, would be no greater at the end of the period than at the beginning. The former, too, would, at the end of the period, be the richer man of the two. He would have a stock of goods of some kind or other, which, though it might not be worth all that it cost, would always be worth something. No trace or vestige of the expense of the latter would remain, and the effects of ten or twenty years' profusion would be as completely annihilated as if they had never existed. As the one mode of expense is more favorable than the other to the opulence of an individual, so it is likewise to that of a nation. The houses, the furniture, the clothing of the rich, in a little time, become useful to the inferior and middling ranks of people. They are able to purchase them when their superiors grow weary of them, and the general accommodation of the whole people is thus gradually improved when this mode of expense becomes universal among men of fortune. In countries which have long been rich, you will frequently find the inferior ranks of people in possession both of houses and furniture perfectly good and entire, but of which neither the one could have been built nor the other have been made for their use. What was formerly a seat of the family of Seymour is now an inn upon the Bath Road. The marriage bed of James I of Great Britain, which his queen brought with her from Denmark as a present fit for a sovereign to make to a sovereign, was, a few years ago, the ornament of an alehouse at Dunfermline. In some ancient cities which either have been long stationary or have gone somewhat to decay, you will sometimes scarce find a single house which could have been built for its present inhabitants. 
if you go into those houses too you will frequently find many excellent though antiquated pieces of furniture which are still very fit for use and which could as little have been made for them noble palaces magnificent villas great collections of books statues pictures and other curiosities are frequently both an ornament and an honor not only to the neighborhood but to the whole country to which they belong versailles is an ornament and an honor to france stowe and wilton to england italy still continues to command some sort of veneration by the number of monuments of this kind which it possesses though the wealth which produced them has decayed and though the genius which planned them seems to be extinguished perhaps from not having the same employment the expense too which is laid out in durable commodities is favorable not only to accumulation but to frugality if a person should at any time exceed in it he can easily reform without exposing himself to the censure of the public to reduce very much the number of his servants, to reform his table from great profusion to great frugality, to lay down his equipage after he has once set it up, are changes which cannot escape the observation of his neighbors, and which are supposed to imply some acknowledgment of preceding bad conduct. Few, therefore, of those who have once been so unfortunate as to launch out too far into this sort of expense, have afterwards the courage to reform, till ruin and bankruptcy oblige them but if a person has at any time been at too great an expense in building in furniture in books or pictures no imprudence can be inferred from his changing his conduct these are things in which further expense is frequently rendered unnecessary by former expense and when a person stops short he appears to do so not because he has exceeded his fortune but because he has satisfied his fancy the expense besides that is laid out in durable commodities gives maintenance commonly to a greater number of people than that which is employed in the most profuse hospitality of two or three hundred weight of provisions which may sometimes be served up at a great festival one half perhaps is thrown to the dunghill and there is always a great deal wasted and abused but if the expense of this entertainment had been employed in setting to work masons carpenters upholsterers mechanics etc a quantity of provisions of equal value would have been distributed among a still greater number of people who would have bought them in pennies worth and pound weights and not have lost or thrown away a single ounce of them in the one way besides this expense maintains productive in the other unproductive hands in the one way therefore it increases in the other it does not increase the exchangeable value of the annual produce of the land and labor of the country I would not, however, by all this be understood to mean that the one species of expense always betokens a more liberal or generous spirit than the other. When a man of fortune spends his revenue chiefly in hospitality, he shares the greater part of it with his friends and companions. But when he employs it in purchasing such durable commodities, he often spends the whole upon his own person, and gives nothing to anybody without an equivalent the latter species of expense therefore especially when directed towards frivolous objects the little ornaments of dress and furniture jewels trinkets gewgaws frequently indicates not only a trifling but a base and selfish disposition all that i mean is that the one sort of expense as it always occasions some accumulation of valuable commodities as it is more favorable to private frugality and consequently to the increase of the public capital and as it maintains productive rather than unproductive hands conduces more than the other to the growth of public opulence end of book two chapter three part two